Ignition sequence start. Three, two, one. Let's start the episode. Welcome back to university, everybody. My name is AJ Perrin. With me, as always, remotely this time, I guess, is... Judson Martin. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like you're yeah, Neil deGrasse... that's me. It's you. It's you, Judson Martin. It's like you're Neil deGrasse Tyson now, and I'm just still AJ, but you're the remote guest this time. So, like, you're the industry uh, personnel. Dude, no, you're the remote guest, bro. I mean, it's all about perspective. No, you're, you're Neil deGrasse Tyson. You're yeah. saying I have more experience than you? I, thanks, man. No, I'm just saying, like, it's from perspective. Let's talk about some stuff today, Judd. I'm glad we get to record an episode, I guess. This is kind of weird <laughs> not to be in the studio, though. What do you mean you guess, though? Like, it's... I guess. I mean, like, I don't know. I'd be, rather be playing Red Dead. But the world needs to be educated. That's the thing. Fair enough. Um... Where's a good place to start when we're talking about this? Uh, let's just talk here. Let's just start about start with this. Earth is like the only planet in the solar system that gets an ozone layer to the extent that we have it. And what I mean by that is like, we know that Mars and Venus have ozone layers, but their ozone layers are so thin compared to ours. And then no, all the other planets in the solar system, as far as we know, don't have them. So... I guess as I was researching this, it's like, it's just another reason why Earth is so lucky. Like, yeah, we just have all these factors that make life easy. Yeah, I think it has a lot to do with like, as far as the planets closer to the sun than us. So in order to have an ozone layer, you need to have oxygen. And so because we have more oxygen than the planets in front of us, we're obviously going to have a bigger ozone layer. Exactly. No, good point. I think the reason that maybe some of the planets behind us, and this is just like a guess from what I learned, was that maybe they're not getting strong enough rays yeah. from the sun, UV, UV rays and stuff. You're a genius, actually. Who knows, man? That's just a guess. Yes. Guys, take that's... that with a grain of salt. Okay. I'll, t- I'll take that with a grain of sugar because that was pretty damn sweet. That is actually really okay. spot on. That was, <laughs> that's actually really good. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm smooth with it. But uh, yeah, photo disassociation, which we'll get into later, is what makes ozone essentially you need sun rays to create ozone which is kind of funny because sun rays is also the thing they're protecting us from right so right on venus and mars the ozone's not generated by life on the planet but rather breaking up the carbon dioxide that's in those atmospheres so that's where their kind of source of oxygen comes from is the other gases in their atmosphere um but because of the lack of life on those planets their atmospheres or their lack of oxygen in the atmosphere is generally a lot less especially on Mars, actually, their atmosphere is so thin that your blood would boil if you, like, took off your space yeah. helmet or whatever. I don't know why, because it's, like, I think boiling is a temperature thing, but it just has to do with, like... Well, yeah, it's, I, I mean, temperature and pressure are... Oh, right, pressure. Directly, mm-hmm. directly, um, how do you say that? I don't know, related PV I'm equals NRT or directly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, was, They're directly related. I was looking for related. I couldn't think of that word. Yeah. Okay, so now Anyways. that we now they're all happy about how lucky we are knowing we have an ozone layer. Uh let's talk about 
why um, having an ozone layer is important. So then I guess I'll turn to you, Judd. If you talk a little bit about the power of the sun, because that's the real enemy here that ozone uh, combats. Yeah, so like, so the sun is giving off three different types of UV rays. So they can do quite a bit of damage. So the three different types are UVA, UVB, and UVC. That's um, a really clever naming. That's actually genius. I know. It's. I wonder why. I'm surprised they didn't go with UV one, two, three. Personally, that's how I would have done it. But that's that's okay. It's too many letters. Otherwise, you need to have a balance. There's more letters in A, B, C than there is in one, two, three. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, like, you need to have a balance. You need to bring in the numbers. There's too many letters. Otherwise, wait. No, you said letters, but it doesn't. Never mind, dude. You're not making sense. <laughs> A, B, C. So A is the weakest, and A actually gets through the atmosphere based on okay. its wavelength. Um, okay. And I'll get m- more into that in a second, but A, B, and C come from the sun, and only A gets through. So B and C are blocked by the ozone layer. A is the weakest, and those rays are responsible for when you go outside and you get tan or you get a sunburn if you stay out for too long and mm-hmm. don't have good sunscreen, whatever. But B and C are both stronger than that, and they're dangerous. So B would basically cause cancer, um, and that's why B is bad. B equals bad. Okay, equals it's, bad. it's very simple. Yeah. Um, and then C. And then C is just C is bad, but like. But so it's like it gets increasingly more bad. They're used for like to clean hospitals and stuff like that. So they're powerful enough to like penetrate the cell wall and kill whatever's inside of it. Oh, like so, like bacteria kill bacteria with the UV rays. I like that. Yeah, so those are powerful enough to do that. UVB is powerful enough to get inside the cell and at least cause damage to it enough to cause cancer. Maybe not kill it. You want to know um, about power? I'll tell you about power. Did you know that? Okay, so I will allow the users or the listeners to decide whether or not they believe this. But I heard that like during World War II, German scientists were thinking about creating like a solar death ray. So like you capture the energy of the sun and just like, like science fiction. So they're going to build a Death Star? I guess. Yeah. Like, oh, shoot. Wait, that's literally the Death Star. Who did you say the Soviets were going to do? No, no. The German scientists. Oh, I was like, okay, that makes more sense. Never mind. That would be pretty cool if that was doable, but also pretty bad at the same time. Yeah. So, Judd, you told us that UV rays are bad and that ozone protects us from it. UVB is bad. UVA makes me look good in the summer. Okay. Okay. So, UVA is A for acceptable, B for bad. Sure. Let's go with that. And C is just, it's clean because it cleans the bacteria. Oh, okay. Acceptable, bad, and clean. All right. Well, there you have it, guys. UVA, B, and C. Anyway, ozone is not like a force field around our planet. It kind of is, but it kind of isn't because a force field, you think about it, it's like uniform throughout, right? But the ozone layer varies in thickness and it starts from about six to 10 miles up in the atmosphere and ends around 30 miles up. So if you know anything about like the makeup of, I guess, like the the layers of atmosphere, right? The lowest one to the ground. I think it's the troposphere. Is that is that? Oh yeah, sound it is. Right? Like it's troposphere, mesosphere, or I mean troposphere, mesosphere, tropo, strato, strato, meso, meso, exo. We're good. Boom. Yeah. Yep, okay. So 
we're, when we talk about six to 10 miles up and then ending 30 miles up, we're looking at like the upper troposphere. So think like tropo is kind of where we hang out, right? And then, I mean, we don't hang out six to 10 miles up, but we exist within the troposphere. And then the stratosphere, the lower stratosphere is the other part of the ozone layer. And so when we talk about photo disassociation, that's the process that creates ozone. And if we didn't have all the chemicals, which we'll get to later, that break down ozone, there's kind of a natural balance that gets struck in terms of creating and destroying ozone via this photo disassociation. So Judd, you are a free-floating O2 molecule that makes its way up into the upper troposphere, right? That's This is like a story time, right? Picture this. Okay. Now, you get hit with UV rays striking you. And so you split into two pieces. Now you have two separate O molecules instead of O2, right? Sure. Two sure. single O molecules. And now an oxygen can has two choices. It can either recombine as O2 or it could combine with another O2 and become an O3 molecule. Yeah. Because so, I know like, oh, uh, like atomic oxygen. So just a singular oxygen doesn't exist naturally. Like it's not, it's unstable. It'll always bond with something so yeah then, exactly like that molecule that single atom of oxygen wants to bond with another atom of oxygen or something else which i'm sure you're going to get to yeah exactly well so it can combine with another oxygen to make o2 or it can make o3 and then the ozone then gets hit with uv rays which will break up the o3 into separate molecules and it kind of creates a cycle so there's a natural yep. balance to how much o3 is able to be created in the atmosphere via this light um so what's great about this is that during this cycle where ozone is getting hit by uv rays the uv rays are essentially like scattering or being absorbed the energy from these uv rays are being absorbed when these atoms split apart so that's what's good for us because it saves us um from the uv rays that would have otherwise eventually reach earth yeah Judd, you've heard of like the ozone hole, right? Yeah, like the South Pole. Yeah, Antarctic, exactly. So in this tropical stratosphere is where much of the molecular oxygen uh, starts making its way upwards into the atmosphere. Okay. So think around like around the equator. Through the circulation known as the Brewer-Dobson circulation, which is like these currents of air, it brings this oxygen... Uh, essentially down to outside the tropics, right? Like down over towards the poles. So what that means essentially is the greatest concentration of ozone is usually around the equator and where it is the least is at the poles. Okay. It's like, I guess one thing that makes that makes sense to me. One reason that that might make sense is like the equators receive the most direct sunlight. Like the they're receiving the the strongest UV rays, right? So like they're those areas are having the most um, of that disassociation that you were talking about. Yeah, yeah. I guess I didn't think about that. That that is a valid point. Yeah. So there's a circulation that is dispersing it. So it's not just being created evenly at, at every part of the Earth. That's why when scientists first started noticing what's known as the ozone hole, there were literally parts of southern South America where people like could not go outside without covering every single part of their body. Did you ever hear about this? Yeah, so essentially, the UV rays were so bad and so deadly, so 
would so violently cause skin cancer that people would have to dress head to toe essentially to shade themselves from the sun because it, the ozone hole, while it's not a hole, is a place where the ozone is a third of the strength that it should be. And that's enough to make, uh, you know, yeah, life on Earth very tough. Yeah, exactly. So the concentration at the Antarctic, where the ozone hole originates from, now NASA measures this hole starting from the Arctic and like every year you can see their data. How big was this hole this year in terms of area? How, how much of the globe did it cover? Uh, but it, it kind of centers itself on Antarctica, if you can, if you can picture that. Yeah, okay. Now, the concentration here, uh, for reference, a normal concentration is 300 Dobson. And Dobson, uh, 300 Dobson is about two pennies. If you stack two pennies on top of each other, that's how thick our ozone layer is. Okay. Okay. Wait, okay, so it's that thick in terms of if it were compressed or... Uh, yeah, okay, so 100 Dobson is like if you took a column straight up from the ground all the way to space. 100 Dobson is, and you compressed all okay, that, 100 okay. Dobson is what you'd need to make an ozone layer a millimeter thick. 100 Dobson is, okay. So, so when we get 300 it's taking Dobson's, a pillar and compressing it down. Yeah, Okay. so 300, 300 uh, Dobson is about two pennies or three millimeters. <laughs> now, 100 Dobson, where the weakest parts of the Antarctic Circle uh, ozone hole was many decades ago. 100 Dobson is about a dime. It's just tiny, right? So, like I said, it's ozone is very, very sensitive and not evenly distributed, which is why it's important to, you know, these areas where the hole shows up are going to be the most sensitive. And that's why we need to make sure that uh, we are wary of what we're putting into the atmosphere. Now, I'll give you another comparison if we want to talk about Dobson for a second or just like the concentration of ozone. If you took all the air in a column from ground to space and squeezed it at standard temperature and pressure, that column of air would still be about eight kilometers, okay? Wow, okay. An eight kilometer, because I mean, if you think about it though, Earth's atmosphere, it what is it, like a hundred kilometers to get all the way to what's yeah, considered space? Yep. Yeah. So at standard temp and pressure, that's what's important, but eight kilometers. Now, if you do this just with the ozone that was in that column, you're going to get three millimeters, right? Like that 300 Very opposite. small. So it shows yeah. you just how little ozone is actually in the atmosphere. Right. Because I think, Judd, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but like oxygen is more likely to become O2 than O3, right? Right. It's O3 doesn't naturally exists without this disassociation process well it does just very minimally one more point for now is that ozone can be created through other processes besides photo disassociation one of these processes is through uh air pollutants and emissions and stuff like this because just like on mars if we have a bunch of co2 some of that co2 can become ozone yeah there's there's other ways to get oxygen and there's other I think the big thing that creates the ozone is the only way to create ozone is to add, like have some external energy, such as like the UV rays that take the naturally forming O2 and then form it into O3. Exactly. So you might be thinking like, oh, if ozone is created through emissions and stuff like that, aren't 
cars, gas guzzling cars and stuff like that a good thing because we'll create more ozone and be protected from the EV. Ozone in the lower atmosphere isn't really part of our ozone layer and isn't likely to ever become part of it. In fact, ozone is right. actually toxic uh, to humans. You're not supposed to breathe it because it's too high of a concentration of oxygen and your body can't process it. It's interesting. Yeah. Actually, if you've ever stepped outside before, it's going to like thunder or something like that or lightning and you can smell that smell and you're like, it's going to storm, you know, that smell. That's ozone. That's ozone. You're going to die. It's toxic to your body or from the lightning that's about to strike you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That too. Don't, I wouldn't, we're not endorsing stepping outside while it's storming, but yeah, exactly. That'd be a good way to go though. Like if uh, at the end of the day, that'd be cool. Anyways. Yeah. Okay. Judd, let's take a quick break. Maybe I'll get superpowers from it too. Sorry. Let's take a break. Yeah. Okay. Let's take a break. uh, And then we'll come back quick to talk about what's happening to the ozone layer in the past and what we can do about it now to recover. Welcome back from the break. Um, Judson. If you don't have an ozone layer, obviously you're going to be pretty exposed to UV radiation, right? Yeah, that that would be pretty bad, man. Okay, so name me a group of individuals who are on a daily basis, uh, I I guess, right? A daily basis? Daily basis? No. No? Well, Well, I mean, not... A regular basis. Okay, well, first of all, I'm going to game you two of them. The first one is aliens, okay. obviously. Obviously. Okay. Well, um, if they don't have a ozone layer on their planet, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If they didn't, or if they were just like, they didn't need spaces or whatever, which they would. But right. anyways, the other group, though, that you're talking about is astronauts. And right. they're not, um, the time when they're, at least that I was going to talk about when they're exposed to the UV rays is during spacewalks. And they're not doing right. spacewalks exactly. on a daily basis. Right. Just a, a, um, on a regular basis. They, they're not like going to be exposed to like the windows of the ISS or anything. I, I'd hope the windows don't turn towards the I sun. Mean, that would be awful. That probably would suck, but I'm sure that they have the same coating that right. we'll talk about as the visors do on the spacesuits, or they have a okay. similar coat, maybe not the same. Um, okay. But so during spacewalks, the astronauts are outside of the ISS, obviously, and they're kind of like directly exposed to the sun. They don't have any ozone layer to protect them. They don't have anything to protect them except for their spacesuit. So one of the more dangerous areas um, is where the suit itself doesn't really cover, which is the like their eyes and their face, and that's right. where the visor comes in. Um, so the spacesuit visor. Um, which was kind of specially designed for this purpose with the blocking UV rays has two different layers. And one of them has a, a special gold, gold coating. This coating I'm sure kind of reflects those UV rays and and allows the astronaut to, to safely navigate outside of the ISS without these UV rays penetrating and, and causing cancer. Yeah. Gold is a very cool material. Um, then that's just one of its properties that we know about is that it's able to have high reflection so it can reflect those UV ways or UV ways. I just, I just developed a speech impediment. UV ways. (laughs) The UV rays, they can reflect those. And that's actually why we've mentioned this at least twice before, but like why the record on the Voyager one is golden. We call it the golden record because we knew it wouldn't, you know, 
break down over time based on the sun if we made a goal? That would probably break down from like the half-life of gold faster than it breaks down from anything else. Yeah, I mean, like by the time it ever reached an alien, it'd probably be, it wouldn't be gold anymore. It'd be like, I don't know, something what, else. A step down from gold, yeah. Whatever I gold decays into. I don't know the periodic table by heart and I don't need to, so I don't feel bad. It doesn't matter, but I will challenge your periodic table knowledge now. Are you prepared? No. Great. Here we go. So Here, I'm looking at the periodic table. <laughs> okay. Don't tell anybody that. I've mentioned uh, a couple times now that the ozone layer at some point was a lot weaker than it is now and definitely a lot weaker than it was 100 years ago. That period of time was in the 70s, or starting in the 70s, when NASA scientists or uh, meteorologists began to uncover that the ozone layer was rapidly depleting, and this depletion was attributed to halogen-containing ozone-depleting substances. We can call these HODs, uh, halogen-containing ozone-depleting substances, H-O-D-S, uh, it's a pretty the acronym in my opinion, but if you don't discover it, you can't make the acronym. That's just the rules. Everybody knows that. Judd, here's the test now. Name me two halogens and bonus points if they are the ones that are the most common uh, in these substances that break down ozone. Two halogens. He's looking at a periodic a table, very... but he doesn't even know what the halogens are. Interesting. No idea. Oh, okay. Let me guess. Based on my research that I did for this episode, is oh, okay. it fluorine and chlorine? Yes. And bonus points if you get one more. Bromine. Yeah. Okay. Wow, you're a genius, Look dude, actually. The first um, three of them. Wow. Yeah. So based on some production that was going on during these decades, we were releasing copious amounts of what's known as uh, CFCs, chlorofluorocarbons. So these halogen-containing ozone-depleting substances. And here's a common misconception. People thought that, you know, these things would just float up into the atmosphere and start breaking down the ozone instantly. But we talked about that circulation that carries uh, things in the air down to the Antarctic, right? The same thing had to happen to these substances where they eventually make their way down and they can't yeah. break down the ozone at every month of the year they have to have very specific circumstances in the antarctic to make it happen <clears throat> it's to be honest the circumstances are like too uh lucky like i don't they're no. too specific like who invented these rules that like oh yeah by the way the earth is going to get nerfed because we're going to give it these random wind currents that carry it down here and give it the exact right conditions to destroy their nerfed. special force field. Yeah, Earth got nerfed. Is it like, I mean, does it, are they just stealing the oxygen molecules or what are the, or the atomic oxygen or what are they doing? Kind of. Let's get into it. So, good question. Okay, so CFCs eventually in, in the Antarctic will get broken up by UV rays. So the chlorine or the fluorine or the bromine will break off and then react with the ozone and like you said steal the oxygen okay so the first thing that needs to get happen is these cfcs need to break apart and it doesn't happen immediately and this is how it happens so in the antarctic winter in the antarctic winter things are a lot colder and a lot darker and judd 
trivia what is the antarctic winter compared to our winter like what months is the antarctic winter what months wouldn't it be just like the opposites of ours the summer right. or yeah and here's a weird point on the summer thing it's like it it always blew my mind when i was uh like first learning this i guess is that the southern hemisphere has the opposite summer that we do i guess that never yeah. made sense to me because educators or just in school will drill it into your brain through like you can just imagine the calendar in your kindergarten classroom had suns on the june like month and all this sunny beach stuff you know what i'm saying yeah those stupid calendars are made in the northern hemisphere bro yeah that's what i'm saying that's not inclusive to all hemispheres that was lame that was lame stuff but so it's cold and dark in the antarctic winter which is actually in our summer months so during the spring or late winter these circulations are bringing the cfcs from near the tropics down to the antarctica to the antarctica whatever so yeah yeah. the stratospheric winds of the antarctic trap the air in kind of a vortex right so it's constantly swirling winds inside these winds it's very dark and there's a lack of heat which makes clouds form this is very unusual for Antarctica because clouds don't form uh, throughout the entire year. The clouds made of water and ice and all this stuff actually give these CFCs the surface they need to react and break apart into their more active active forms of just chlorine or bromine or bro- I can't speak. Bromine, bromine yeah. or fluorine. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that, and when you think about it, it'd have to be pretty specific conditions for a halogen such as one of those three elements to break off from its its molecule whatever molecule it is because those elements are like extremely they're extremely high energy because they're you know the one step from being the uh the oh what is it called the gas what's it called noble gases the noble gases yeah they're yeah, one they're highly reactive one more step from being the noble gas which is like they really want to get there so it also makes more sense how if the oxygen molecule has the choice to form the loose oxygen atom has a choice to form with a bromine or a yeah a higher oxygen, electronegativity it's going to choose the bromine because right it's yeah it's much more reactive great explanation doc but so it's these stupid stupid convenient conditions that allow this to happen in the first place i just like it just boggles my mind yeah, we had to be nerfed. We were our, our Goldilocks conditions were too overpowered, you know. I, have you heard before? Maybe you could confirm or deny this that Earth isn't the most habitable planet that we've like ever seen in terms of like. I, I don't know. I okay, because like, I guess if you think about it, yes, Earth right now contains life and gave us the conditions. Sorry, gave us the conditions to create life. But there's no reason that Earth should be the maximum um, amount of like life preserving. Is that make, if that makes sense? Li- maximum yeah, healthiness for life. Well, okay. So I heard something, and I think this was actually from a TikTok as well. But it was actually a TikTok. That's good. It was That's Instagram good real. Okay. No, it was Instagram real, but it oh, was a good better. source because it was Neil deGrasse Tyson's Star Talk. He. The guest that he was speaking with said, if we were to take like the whole universe and equate that to the ocean or our, the Earth's oceans, 
then we have explored one 12 ounce glass. Even from what we've only observed is a 12 ounce glass, I would mm -hmm. guess that some planet out there is more inhabitable. And I would also guess, my opinion, there's some planet that is so much more inhabitable that there's something else on there. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I mean, gotta be life somewhere else. It's it's likely if if think about the, just the ratio, one 12 ounce glass equals one habitable planet. Yeah. So think about all the other 12 ounce glasses that are in the ocean. Duh. Not to say Come that, on. you know, there's a good chance. Okay. So back to CFCs here. The thing about CFCs is that these buggers don't just break oxygen down once in the or ozone down once and say, all right, I'm good to go. There, it's basically like a catalytic reaction and stay there until they have destroyed like thousands more ozone molecules. So one molecule yeah. of CFC can do a lot of damage over time. Sure. And we've seen that. So there was this thing called the Montreal Protocol that in the late 90s uh, was an environmental agreement to slice uh, CFC pr production, right? Or emissions. Cause we were like, okay, yeah. obviously we can't continue this forever. This is going to destroy what is saving us from skin cancer. And it's true. It's, it's, it has saved millions upon millions of people from skin cancer. Just this protocol. It's considered like the most successful environmental agreement of all time. It, it sets a very good gold standard, but so they cut these emissions and yet still, um, over the last couple decades, although it's obviously not as steep as the 70s, 80s, 90s, we, there's still a negative trend in the ozone very slightly, even though we are considered to be on the road to recovery. You can see the effects of CFCs hanging around all this time, right? Yeah. Like you said, they stick around for a while, so it just takes time. And it's it's really hard to cut these emissions completely because they're considered like banks cfc banks uh like old air conditioners old refrigerators old insulation anything that was produced a long time ago that's still around uh that has this capability like aerosols and refrigerants are are definitely things that produce cfcs so like if these things are still hanging around on the planet they're still gonna cause some emissions so obviously it's not as great as the 1980s but some of that stuff is still hanging around I think part of the reason that like the Montreal Protocol was so successful and things like that is, well, one, I think people in the, that time frame were a little more accepting of like science knowledge and and the professionals, so that probably oh, yeah. played a role. The the other thing is like it was also a pretty easy fix. Like we can use a different type of molecule inside these. Oh yeah, hairspray yeah. cans. It's and, not a one and, to, one or nothing. Right, I think it was an easy, cheap fix. So, but I think the other like environmental catastrophe that we could like compare this to would be climate change and, and CO two yeah. emissions and things like that. I think it would be easy to look at the Montreal Protocol and say, okay, why can't we come up with something like this for CO two? And yeah. it's just there isn't a cheap alternative to CO two, and not that we sh shouldn't keep moving away from it, but it's right. difficult. It's more difficult than it is to move away from these chlorophyll carbons which are yeah like we said these are high energy they're halogens so they're high energy yeah. um yeah 
molecules. They're hard. They're difficult to create anyways. There's probably cheaper molecules that we could use in the first place. Yeah. We definitely knew of cheap substitutions. So like that, I guess that just, I don't know, it wasn't a problem like, like you said, like CO2 is. You know what is a good fix to CO2? Maybe not the cheapest. Nuclear fusion. Guess what? We've talked about that on a past episode. So go listen to that. This is true. We're kind of in the clear. That doesn't mean don't wear your sunscreen. Sunscreen is really important uh, for preventing skin cancer. But I think I feel I like real we're in the clear. last weekend. Yeah. yeah, you're a little sunburnt. Not last weekend, I guess. The weekend before that, I was out at the lake. I got pretty sunburnt. You got to get those tops of the ears, man. That's where it'll get you. Yeah, it wasn't the ears. It was um, this is my shoulders. But yeah. Yeah, well, that's because you got big shoulders, dude. You're just a little stocky, like. Well, that. yeah, that's just part of it. But you know, you're nerfed. You're nerfed. You got too big of muscles. I got nerfed. Uh, yeah. Well, so like I said, I think we're pretty much in the clear for the ozone layer going forwards. But that doesn't mean uh, we sh- shouldn't still continue to apply like the discipline that we've applied to the Montreal Pact uh, or Montreal Protocol, excuse me, going forward. Because, for instance, there are other emissions that can cause uh similar you know effects one of those being n2o which is what is that n2o nitrous oxide right so yeah i believe believe a lot of it is from agriculture yeah yeah oh good point yeah susan solomon who is from the department of earth atmospheric and planetary sciences at mit um, had research that was published in Nature Communications saying that N2O could be also contributing to the destruction of the ozone layer. And this is kind of unfortunate because you like you said that CFCs are pretty easy to cut back on. True. N2O is easy to cut back on. Not as true. Especially when you consider that, like you said, this comes from agriculture um, a lot of the time. And when you think about if you're a lawmaker and you're trying to cut back on these emissions, people are going to kind of fight back against this because they hear uh, increased input costs of agriculture means their food is going to be more expensive, right? Right. So people kind of get scared away from this. Yeah, I believe nitrous oxide is found like in fertilizers and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's obviously released into the atmosphere with like sprayers or crop dusting, things like that. Yeah. I think this is one of the molecules that's like far more deadly and like far more um, potent towards climate change than even CO2 is. Because um, I think it's it N2O. Also a greenhouse gas. Yep, I, I could exactly. Look, I could look nope, it up. You're right. You're right. N2O is a greenhouse gas, which is different than CFCs because CFCs aren't necessarily uh, a greenhouse gas. To, to that so, point, go, go ahead. The the impact from one pound of nitrous oxide on global on warming the atmosphere is 265 times that of one pound of carbon dioxide. Yeah. So it's, you're saying there's a significant, uh, there's a significant difference between carbon dioxide and nitrous oxide in terms of their climate effects. Yeah. They warm it. They warm the environment 265 times more Yeah. than carbon. So that's a big difference. No, that's a that's a huge difference. And the thing about you were saying, so like this does deplete the ozone layer and is a greenhouse gas. CFC is just depletes the ozone layer for the most part. It contributes to climate change in kind of an indirect way. But sure. it's worth noting that 
ozone isn't really causing climate change significantly. However, the steps we have taken thus far and the steps we will continue to take to prevent ozone depletion have, uh, you know, positive effects against combating climate change, right? right. So if we continue so. to move in, you know, in, in general, a more sustainable, ethical, environmentally friendly uh, path, you're going to see a lot of good effects. Right. Uh, the stronger the ozone layer, the less UV rays which that get in, and the less UV rays get in, the colder the planet will be. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, a, a note on N2O: it's not relate, or it's not regulated by the Montreal Protocol, obviously, because um, otherwise we, it wouldn't be a problem. The funny thing is, we were talking about it. It raises the price of goods essentially if we were going to think about cutting it back. Sure. But at the same time a bad ozone layer is going to damage crops and make soil less healthy in the first place. So there's yeah, always, there's always trade-offs. It might not be equal. Sure. Like maybe it's a net somehow positive, like increased food prices, but everything is a balance, you know, it's the environmental price versus the uh, consumer price or price of goods. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, dang Judd. Well, let's just wait till 2060. And according to basically every scientist out there, we should be, in the green yeah we should be good to go man okay cool well we'll see i don't got anything else to talk about yeah 2060 the aztecs thought the world would end in 2012 um oh, they got yeah. it wrong it's 2050 so yeah anyways well just when things are about to get good the world has to end so guess it doesn't matter right. anyway. okay guys <laughs> well so according to jed we're not gonna be around in 2060 so it doesn't matter anyway Go tell all your friends to buy old refrigerants and uh, AC units and go ahead and deplete that ozone layer. Might as well get skin cancer while we're here, you know. Enjoy the next 27 years. That's all you got. Yeah. Okay, man. Well, it's been a great episode. Yeah, it was good. Thank you, Dr. Tyson. I mean, Dr. Judd. I mean, Judd. Thank you, Dr. Dr. Perrin. Doctor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that illegal somehow? Is that like impersonating a police officer is declaring a PhD? Impersonating a PhD? Yeah. Probably. I have an honorary PhD from... University. Martin. Yeah, from university. Yeah, look, we can yeah. start our own university, bro. Perfect. We have started our own university. It's just not affiliated with any sort of degree programs. Yeah. Can't get a degree, Except for my PhD. Except oh, for your nice. PhD. Yeah, okay. All right, cool. Well... Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, this has been our talk on the ozone layer. And if you liked what you heard, go ahead and listen to our other episodes, especially the ones with Neil deGrasse Tyson, the last two that we had. It's been real, guys. Uh, we will see you next episode right here on University.